Now, our next guest says that over the years, he's noticed that clients were either doing too much or too little of something. And this is what's formed the basis of his latest book, The 427 Zone, where people take control of their own lives. And Dr. Coleman Nocter, psychotherapist, is on the line. Hello, Coleman. How are you doing? Good, thanks, Joe. How are you? I have to say, the minute this, it's like one of these things is pointed out to you and you go, yeah, okay. Right, that really does make a lot of sense when you think about it. That in your experience on the one to ten scale, people going a bit bonkers at one side are going a bit mad on the other. But if they're sitting in the middle, they're about right. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny because you know when you're doing an assessment on someone just to get a baseline of how things are, you might say, "How's your sleep out of ten? Or how's your diet? Or your social engagement?" And all I was realizing was that. I never saw the four to seven people. You know, they never were the ones sitting in front of me. It was always people who were struggling with something that, and it was always in that one, two, three, or eight, nine, ten zone. So I thought there was something in that, that maybe that middle is where we're safest, almost from a mental health point of view. Because in most things like fitness or diet, it's all these kind of extreme options that were offered. Whereas mental fitness is really about the middle. It's about a race to the middle, almost. That's that moderation, moderation, moderation idea. But, you know, I think people struggled with maybe a guide as to how much is too much and how much is enough. And the, the book was probably a response to try and probably put a, a parameter or an idea or a, a visual around that. Yeah, and you, you make a great point that people don't consider mental health in the way they consider physical health that physical health is broken up into different bits and pieces. Mental health, people have a tendency to ask, oh, sure, how's your mental health? As if it's just one thing. Yeah, and it's, it's this idea that you either have it or you don't have it. Um, and mental health is as complex as physical health. It's the same as, you know, terminal cancer to the common cold. You know, the same variations exist in mental health as well. But um, we tend to, tend to not talk about it in that way. We kind of think of it as this kind of single entity. And, and again, you know, everything exists on a spectrum. Do you know what I mean? We're not all good and all bad we're always kind of somewhere in the middle and i think somehow the way the world has gone at the moment it's become increasingly polarized you know you're either left or you're right you're either in or you're out if you're not with us you're against us and that kind of middle of the road space or discussion is almost you know it's either not available to most people or it's frowned upon as you know kind of sitting on the fence or whatever the case may be but actually sometimes the middle is the safest place to be and it's probably where most people are you know, and I, I think that it comes down to the idea of, like, say, for example, we've also, the word average has become synonymous with bad. You know, oh, you're just average, or you're only average. The reality is 80% of us are average. You know, there's 10% who struggle and 10% who thrive. But if we make average bad, then we consign 80% of the population to feel disgruntled. Mm. And for me, that's not a good thing. Yeah, yeah. What a great point that is. You know, there's absolutely the way we look at average. There's no doubt about that at all. And that's a new thing because I like. There was a time when average would be met with relief, not disappointment. You know, and it's almost you know that's you know there's there's people out there take your hand off to be average. Do you know what I mean? But from the point of view of the way in which the world has gone, we've no sense of enough now. Do you know what I mean? So everyone wants to be in that ten percent, but by definition. Everyone can't be special. Special means a a select few. It's not everybody. Um, But if everyone is special, nobody is special. And and so it's maybe trying to figure out, maybe we don't have to be special. Maybe it's okay to be in the middle and maybe it's okay to 
had that fourth seven. And actually, in fact, that's probably where we should be aiming because, you know, you know, exercise is good. We know that. But being an elite athlete is probably comes with its own stresses, you know. So it is about trying to find that enough, really. Yeah, and funny, can you talk to elite athletes, runners in particular, achieving at Olympic level, they'll often say that their bodies are so attuned at a certain point that a cold can impact them in a way that it won't impact maybe some of those people in the four to seven zone that you're talking yeah, about. Exactly, and it's, it's almost in more real terms like perfectionism. You know, it's lovely to have organised you know, lists and everything else. But the problem with perfectionism is when life throws us a curveball and it falls apart, the whole thing comes, the house of cards comes down. Do you know what I mean? So, yes, it's good to be organized, but you have to be flexible to be able to be responsive to things that happen. Do you know what I mean? And so, you know, oftentimes we make lists and perfectionism is not driven by a desire to get it right. It's driven by a fear of getting it wrong. Do you know, and it's almost that anxiety drives that rather than desire. We're chatting to Dr. Coleman Nocter, psychotherapist, and his new book is The Four to Seven Zone. So this is something you would have noticed over a long term. I mean, it's not it's not connected as such to the way everyone seems to think everything is now to the pandemic. No, no, this far predates the pandemic. I mean, it's a strategy I was work, I was using in the therapy room a lot, you know, and, and in, in terms of people who would have seen me for therapy years ago would still come back to me and, and say if they saw me on the street they'd say I'm still trying for four to seven you know, it was something very relatable there was something about it that was that people could connect with and it was a good kind of as I say that kind of visual or a template to keep things on an equilibrium but the idea of I suppose pandemic didn't help because it pushed us into the extreme because like you know we all said life is too busy we should slow down a bit but when we completely paused life for two years we knew that was too much of a slowdown do you know what yes, I mean? and it yes. almost, so the, the, it, it definitely did bring it back but since the pandemic like i i, I would have, i've got four or five emails a week pre-2020 whereas now i get definitely north of 20 or 30 a week with people looking for support so the idea was to put as much of that information in the book that i was repeatedly telling people so that people could have it. And that's where the become your own therapist idea is that, you know, a lot of the advice that I've been giving out over the last three to four years is in this book as a way of trying to maybe make it available to as many people as possible. Right. And Coleman, how would you recommend that the reader approaches your book? Well, I suppose I've, I've used a lot of case studies in the book to try and relate it to the most kind of common scenarios that we run into trouble. And so, so, so there's one is, is a guy about work-life balance. So it's about a guy who's maybe in a job that he's really struggling to manage. He's, he's a good accountant, but he struggles with management. And so it was a, about how he resolved that issue. Um, and it was kind of a, a good run is better than a bad stand where, you know, you don't have to be good at everything. Sometimes you just have to say, this is not for me. And that's okay. The second one was about diet and exercise and sleep. And a chap who went to the GP, cholesterol levels are a bit high. So he bought a tracksuit, new runners, couch the 10K app you know, paleo diet, and he'd failed by the Saturday, you know, so it was, again, this idea of intensity is not always best, consistency is, is the way to go, and then there's things about technology and parenting uh, and intimate relationships and, you know, overcoming betrayal and vulnerability and all that, so there's a relatable cases within the book that allow us to kind of relate to as many of our real life ex- experiences as possible. So hopefully we'll, event- we'll identify with some of the characters in it and say, well, maybe I should try that a little bit, or maybe I'm doing that. Um, and, and the book is 
to hold up a mirror to ourselves and say, where am I at with this? You know, and there is a kind of a checklist of where's my biology, where's my social world, where's, and, and these kind of six criteria that you can say, well, I, I'm not getting out enough or I'm drinking too much or I'm not sleeping enough or I'm watching too much Netflix and it almost allows us to kind of fine-tune that for ourselves. Right. Uh, and do you think that even those in the four to seven zone rise above it or go below it into those other categories from time to time or are some people lucky enough to always remain there? No, I, I think everyone goes into the eight, nine, ten, one, two, three, and it, that's not a problem. And the book is quite forgiving about that. It's not about staying in the four, seven all the time. It's about realizing that you've been in one, two, three or eight, nine, ten for a period of time and finding your way back. So if you went to visit someone who'd broken up from their relationship and they were eating Ben and Jerry's, listening to Adele and in a tracksuit, you wouldn't take them to the GP because it's an understandable reaction. But if you went back six months later and they're still in the same position, then you might look at getting help. So it's not almost the acuity of our sadness. It's almost the length of time that we have or how we're not finding our way out of it. And again, we need to find our way out of things. That's how we build resilience and coping strategies and frustration tolerance like life is hard and the book is about not all sadness is depression not all worry is anxiety and sometimes we have to cope with that um, but it's about trying to find our way back using the coping strategies of resilience or social awareness or emotional intelligence to find our way back to the middle rather than just staying in the one two three eight nine ten but we will all end up there that's absolutely part and parcel of living you know right. um and if someone is depressed, you know, is actually depressed, do they need to do other things before they could approach your book, if you see what I mean? Is, is, it, is it more for people who are not struggling at that intensity or level at the moment? Uh, I think it's probably available to people who may be thinking, do I have a problem or right, not? Right. That's probably where it is. And, and that's the biggest question I get asked, Joe, is, is this normal? Is this normal? And you're kind of deciding, well, yeah, I'd worry a bit about that, or that's a bit of a red flag. No, that's grand. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. And so it's, it's probably, if you had those, that level of depression that you're talking about, you'd find out fairly soon that, the, the, that you are not able to become your own therapist and you actually might need to go and see somebody. But you, if you were in that cusp of not being sure, the book might help you to avoid needing to go to that, if that makes sense. Mm. And Coleman, I mean, what is your advice to someone who's facing a slightly different challenge, maybe at home, where it's their partner who seems to be really struggling? Um, but I presume ultimately the change has to come from within that person. You, you can't force it on your partner. Huge. I mean, again, it's a hugely problematic area because, you know, and, and this is the biggest issue, you know, how many psychotherapists does it take to change a light bulb? The light bulb has to want to change itself. You know, the idea of you really rely so heavily on the person's willingness to engage with you that you can feel quite powerless a lot of the time. But what I'd say to people in that position, and it's one of the things I learned, you're responsible to people. You are not responsible for them, you know, especially adults. So you're responsible to be available, to be supportive, to offer as much to have an open door policy. But at the end of the day, you can't be responsible for people's choices. And, and again, that's not to sound cruel, but that's to protect your own over-involvement in it. Do you know what I mean? In terms of how you have to understand the limitations of your role as a partner, a brother, a sister, a mother, an uncle, that we can 
offer people as much help as possible, but we really do need them to take the hand of that help. Mm. Are there times when you find your job more satisfying than others, like most people? Yeah, no, I mean, I think from the point of view of the last few years has been particularly challenging, you know, from the point of view of, I think I was out today, we said uh, we covered how to be a psychotherapist in a pandemic, but <laughs> as, as things settle down now, you know, it, it is better. But um, like anything else, you know, most people in the caring profession like myself would have a need to be needed. So uh, that's our ailment, you know, because, you know, you're meeting people in the darkest moments of their lives. So it's it's not that it's easy work. But when you see someone make those improvements or someone's life improved that way, you know, there's no money to pay you for that. No, but the point that you made about the increase in the number of emails that you're getting post-pandemic uh, for people looking for help and support, it does underline that we have a significant legacy we can't ignore. Oh, yeah. No, look, our, our, our mental health services are, are well below par. You know, demand outstretches supply so much and... You know, the issue is that, that that's not going to be a bit like the housing thing. It's not something we can fix overnight, um, but it, it isn't good enough. Uh, and the people who need help are not getting it, you know. Um, and I would be far from an apologist for any of the services that are out there. But the, the issue is, you know, the people in the services probably working very hard, but getting into them is just uh, next to near impossible. And, you know, it's, it's all very well saying somebody talk to somebody and you'll feel better. But we have to provide the people to talk to, um, and that's at a much big, bigger level, at an infrastructural level that we need to sort out. But um, there's definitely more people struggling now than there was five years ago, and there's more people struggling five years ago than were struggling ten years ago. So um, the service needs to respond to that, and I wouldn't think in the last ten years the service has expanded anywhere near enough. You know? Okay, okay. Well, listen, great to chat to you. Thank you very much for your time this morning. That's Dr. Coleman Nocter, psychotherapist, and his latest book is The Four to Seven Zone. Your views, your news, your Limerick Today with Joe Nash.